In New Jersey, we found some key Republicans. Welcome to this week's episode of Jersey Matters. We're your hosts. I'm Mike Perino. And I'm Katie McLean. This week, we're going to give you, what else, another coronavirus update. Then we'll take him Murphy's Corner, where we'll talk about all his uh, latest executive orders, what's going on with him, who's praising him and not, things like that. After Murphy's Corner, we'll talk about there are layoffs coming in New Jersey for state workers. So we're going to talk a little bit about how bad they will be. Uh, the Archdiocese is permanently closing some private schools. What are people leaving in parks throughout New Jersey? <laughs> uh, we will talk about that. Uh, wave parades. What are they? Should they exist? We'll let you know. And then the great New Jersey patriotic flyover. What do we think about it? We'll... I mean, we've already discussed what we thought about it, but it's going to happen again. <laughs> going to happen again. Yeah. After the headlines, we're going to talk about, uh, well, Casey will have a discussion on what we're up to during the quarantine. And I'm going to talk a little bit about what I think the future holds in the short term and longer term in the coronavirus and post-coronavirus world. So we're going to be, be optimistic. <laughs> At least one of us will try to be optimistic. <laughs> All right, let's check out the coronavirus cases. I'm here to bring you the dark news. That's what I always do. So you're more as of the a, Murphy, I'm more of the Cuomo of the podcast. Exactly. You're like, everything's going to be all right. The numbers are trending downward. I'm like 1,184 cases on May 16th. That's still high. <laughs> as of the deaths, there was 111 on May 16th as well, bringing the total Jersey numbers to 146,000 uh, confirmed cases and deaths at over 10,000. It does look like the numbers are trending downwards in terms of the new infections per day. So that's that is good news. Later on, I'm going to talk about why that might not be great news, <laughs> uh, or at least <laughs> how how good news can turn into bad news is how I've heard it. Do you have anything to say about? No, her? I mean it. It's not great, and it's not going to be great for a while. And. As we get into Murphy's Corner, we can talk about the the rumors and people talking about, you know, what opens up when and unless the numbers go down, uh, it doesn't make sense to even start planning that. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's my opinion. It seems like it's Murphy's opinion and people just, I know it's hard. I know it's difficult, but uh, got to stay closed. Close it up. Yeah. Keep it yeah, closed. Keep it safe. I agree. <laughs> I would even add just a little bit. We should have a narrative about how this is like perseverance and strength of like character or something like that. I actually don't buy into these kind of kind of <laughs> narratives, to be honest. Yeah, I think they're kind of corny, but I, I think it's kind of needed. A lot of people were like, I just can't stay inside and watch Netflix every day or like, I don't yeah. know, like persevere. I, so you don't get I coronavirus. Don't... Also, be angry that you're running out of money. Uh, yeah. Channel that into like the rest of the contacting world contacting your elector election yeah, yeah, officials it, yeah exactly like not i do want to say i am tired of the commercials of stay at home like we're in this together because oh, it's always like that. every single commercial it's that and it's a lot of celebrities doing like little cameos like oprah telling me to stay home i'm like oprah i'm staying home we're not staying in the same home don't act like you're in any kind of real hardship. Right yeah, now. no, that's different. I, I get them on YouTube all the time about how like, this is what this company's doing. We're all in this together. And, I, and it's like McDonald's or something like that. And I'm like, yeah. what the? what is this? Like, <laughs> no, I, I don't like that kind of like corporate takeover, but like the actual message of building like a collective 
identity, uh, like a feeling of solidarity that we're in this together and we can persevere and we will, and that we need to do the right thing for all of us, not just what's good for the wealthy few. That sounds like a Bernie, uh, uh, like, I'm, like I'm a Bernie <laughs> proposal, but, uh, but you know what I mean? Um, no, I do. And it's a yeah. thing that I think we could do statewide, like have it be a New Jersey pride kind of thing, because I don't know if you were aware, my friend who lives in the UK, they did the, uh, it's like the Eurovision song competition that they do in in the EU. It's every country, cre- it sounds like they create a song and then they perform it you've seen the winners from throughout the years because it goes back to like the 50s they've done it and there was one year i think it was the netherlands or no it was finland that did like a kind of like a death metal they had like these they look like little (laughs) these monsters performing i they were people but makeup but it was just so wild That's that's so scandinavian yeah, it was just so I couldn't believe what I was seeing. And it was so nice that it was this way for people to, you know, come together from all over the the region and perform a song. And but they did it this year. They, I guess it was a stay at home, you know, in quarantine for the most part. But we don't do that in America. We <laughs> we like our people divided and angry with one another. <laughs> and we like uh, a very extensive military flyovers. Yeah, let's uh, <laughs> let's let's turn to Murphy's corner and we'll talk more about uh some of this oh, ridiculousness later. Yes. So, what's he been doing, executive okay. order? So on the twelfth, Governor Murphy, Governor Murphy signed Executive Order Number One Forty One, mandating that all local, county, and regional health departments use the ComCare platform to support their contact tracing efforts. And then, following that, on the thirteenth, the next day. He signed Executive Order 142. Governor Murphy signs Executive Order permitting the resumption of non-essential construction, curbside pickup at non-essential retail businesses, and gatherings in cars. Which oh, I, I have some more information about that. <laughs> yeah. So um, this is part of Phase One of uh, New Jersey reopening. The six days. <laughs> yeah, apparently. So according to ABC Seven New York News. Here's a breakdown of how phase one of reopening New Jersey will work. Non-essential construction. The order permits non-essential construction projects to resume effective at 6 a.m. noon on Monday, May 18th. So tomorrow, all construction projects must abide by the social distancing, safety and sanitation requirements that are described in detail in the governor's executive order. I'm sure that'll happen. (laughs) Curbside pickup at non-essential retail businesses. The order also permits non-essential retail businesses to allow curbside pickup of goods. Um, but businesses must continue to have their in-store operations closed to customers. Businesses who choose to offer curbside pickup must abide by the requirements in the order, which include but are not limited to the following. It's five things. I'll just read them real quick. First, in-store operations should be limited to those employees who are responsible for the operations required for curbside pickup. The second thing is because the customer's transactions should be handled in advance by phone, email, facsimile, or other means of avoiding person-to-person contact, really fax machines. There it is. Customers shall notify the retailer by text message, email, or phone once they arrive or make best efforts to schedule their arrival time in advance. The customer should be asked to remain in their vehicle if arriving by car until store staff delivers the purchase. Four, Designated employees should bring goods outside of the retail establishment and place goods directly in a customer's vehicle when possible, avoiding person-to-person contact. And finally, such businesses must follow social distancing and mitigation practices outlined in previous orders, including requiring workers to wear cloth 
uh, face coverings when in contact with other workers or customers and gloves when in contact with goods or customers. Then there's some strange stuff about car gatherings. Um, <laughs> the order states that car gatherings do not violate the governor's ban on gatherings under executive order number 107. Examples of such car gatherings include, but are not limited to, drive-in movies, religious services, or drive-through farms and or safaris. We have safaris in New what? Jersey. It says that we we might. I don't. I Hold after on, watching uh, Tiger King, I don't put it past New Jersey. <laughs> we're, we're looking this up right now. According to Google, we have, actually have four safaris in New Jersey, and the best ones are Six Flags Great Adventure, which I guess is a safari, the Bugs Bunny National Park. The Franklin and Jungle Habitat drive-through safari. Based off the picture, this one looks like an actual safari. The other How ones do you have like, a Bugs Bunny safari? It doesn't look. The picture is like uh, just a a ride. I, don't, I couldn't describe it. It's like the teacup ride. And then the fourth one is the Osprey Wildlife Safari, which has a kind of a cute picture of a chipmunk. So I guess we have that at least two legit. legit ones. All right, not important, but that but we we needed to <laughs> we have needed the facts. To clarify. <laughs> um, I'm sure we're not the only ones that wondered that. Anyway, so. You can go to a safari as long as they don't violate uh, <laughs> social distancing. Car gatherings will be subject to the following restrictions, but are, are also not limited to these following restrictions. Attendees must remain in their same car throughout the gathering. So no Chinese fire drills. Yeah, and an occupant needs to get out of the vehicle for unless an occupant needs to get out of their vehicle for health and safety or an occupant needs to use the restroom. Uh, the vehicle must remain closed at all times. Individuals organizing the gatherings who are not in vehicles must follow social distancing and wearing cloth face coverings. And uh, it's the same thing as before. Do do prepayment wherever possible. Okay, so that's it. That's it on the on that executive order. It seems like it's safe. It sounds safe. I'm yeah. I'm just worried it's too soon. I'll talk about it later. But yeah, save your doomsday. <laughs> yeah, I'll save doomsday for later. I'm not gonna say anymore. <laughs> What else is a, next? a little foreshadowing up next is on the 15th governor Murphy signed executive order 144 to protect public health by mailing every registered voter a VBM ballot or application ahead of the primary election. So I guess this is your red alert to register to vote if you are not registered to vote and make sure that you are registered to vote at your current place of residence. I need to update my place of residence. So I'm really just talking to myself mostly. I need to update my driver's <laughs> license. Oh, I do too. But as I, because I was going to update it because I moved and then I got married and I'm changing my name and I was in the process of changing my name before Corona hit. So I have my social security card updated with my new name. And then I was in the DMV as Corona, like right before everything closed up. And I walked out because it was taking, it was, the wait time was around two hours to actually get processed and all that kind of stuff so i just ducked out and i figured you know after all this then i could get my new license with my new address and my new name but um little, little right did now, you know <laughs> little do i know <laughs> following that on the 15th same day governor murphy signed executive order 145 which is an order allowing elective surgeries and invasive procedures to resume on may 26th which is very exciting because that's good, that's good news i don't know if anyone else here has poor eyesight but <laughs> I have contacts and glasses and the pandemic really was a rude awakening because I didn't go in to get my prescription updated and I put that off um, <laughs> for a very long time. And because like, I still have contacts, I have glasses, everything's going to be fine. I could just go there whenever Corona hit and I haven't been able to get my prescription updated or 
they didn't, my eye doctor wouldn't even give me the, I don't know what to call it, but extend my prescription because it was expired for Corona. So I was freaking out, but I'm excited for this executive order because I can get LASIK now. That's my goal because I never want to be in a situation where I can't see. <laughs> I, um, I too have suffered poorly in the genetic, genetic lottery and my eyesight's terrible. And um, <laughs> I, I just can't go with LASIK. Uh, it, it seems like a great idea and I'm yeah. for it and I understand the risks are super low, but I know how it's done and you're awake and it freaks me out. Yeah. Um, it freaks me out. Look, look that, look that stuff up. I, uh, I'm not anti-LASIK. I'm just personally a coward. See, I'm hardcore. Um, I put it on my military family background of, I never want to be like considered weak. So like when I had my wisdom teeth taken out, I, they just numb me. I was like, just numb me up, rip those suckers out. <laughs> I rem- I remember when I had, I was, I had all four taken out at once. Yeah. And, uh, I remember just like, like, Oh, count backwards from, and then I was out and I woke up yeah. and it, that's what it felt like. I felt like I blinked. I remember I, I, I tried to say, um, okay, uh, uh, like, like, uh, when are we going to start? But like, there's just stuff in my mouth and I was like, Oh, I'm like really, you know, uh, I'm really drugged up right now. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's no. no, good. Uh, because this should actually, I mean, it's relevant. People will be able to get like things like that, which they've needed. And um, even more serious stuff like certain um, like uh, biopsies and stuff like that. They cancer were... uh, treatments and things like that were considered non-elective uh, or, or surgeries. So this is this is good. This is good. And then um, surgeries. Yeah. exactly. So this is this is a really good move. I think a lot of people were waiting for this. For a number of reasons. It must, and, it must mean that he has information that the load on the hospitals are uh, declining enough that they can handle this capacity and, and the yeah. risk for them to get infected are, is much lower than it was uh, a month ago. So that's great. Yeah. And Executive Order 146 signed in on the 16th. Governor Murphy signs Executive Order to reopen charter fishing and watercraft rental businesses. Uh, <laughs> I get it because of the shore towns. This is how they... It's their, you know, tourism economy. And, you know, it is as long as they're sanitizing, if you're going to open beaches, this is part of that, you know, local economy. It makes sense. But, you know, I just want to caution everyone to sanitize, sanitize, sanitize if you're a business owner, because if they contact trace it back to your business, I feel like it's going to be detrimental. Um, Oh, yeah. Uh, (laughs) Even if there's somehow no legal consequences for you you'll have the reputation of spreading coronavirus yeah and no one will go to you exactly so, so that's that wraps up uh the executive orders from murphy this um uh, this let's week. talk a little bit about uh reopening the businesses because that also includes this weekend the beaches reopened yeah at least in ocean city and essentially it's a uh, the news loves the pun it's a dry run a dry run <laughs> <laughs> Oh, the news. <laughs> and have you seen the pictures? Seen- of the beaches? Yeah. I have been avoiding all TV that was not, uh, you know, post-dated. You know what I mean? Like, I'm currently in around, like, 2018 on some shows because I'm re-watching old episodes and just avoiding current things. And uh, Cuomo has not posted any beach photos that I've seen on the episodes I've seen of him you know, doing his daily briefing. So I have been avoiding that, Mike. 
<laughs> oh, okay. Well, I just sent two to you so you can see what I've oh. been staring at. Oh, boy. Maybe, maybe you'll see why I'm a doomer. Um, so uh. there's a lot of people on the boardwalk. Ooh. And a lot of people aren't wearing masks. And yeah, so you really sent me. <laughs> it looks like, I don't even know. It's It's a boardwalk and there are people cycling, people on, what is this like? Like kind of like a golf cart for the the boardwalk. Just everyone's piled in, no masks. Did you notice the one woman wearing a mask in that golf cart? Shame her, sorry, but her mask is around her neck. Yeah. Well, at least she has a mask kind of on, you know what I mean? Even though it's around her neck, everyone else is packed and no one's wearing a mask. And no one's distancing. Yeah. So I think it's going to be when Murphy starts getting flooded with photos like this, he's going to have to close back up. So I I know how you hard live it is and you for learn. children to like get them to wear. Well, I mean, I don't know personally, but I can imagine because I have empathy how difficult <laughs> it is to, you know, get children to wear masks and other things like that. But I want to share what I saw in my local grocery store. Ooh. So maybe people understand why I'm pretty pessimistic about how this is going to go. For people not following the lines, like the arrows, because All that happened that. to me that, today. <laughs> that is out of out of control. No one follows the arrows. I feel and like I, a, I feel like a tool following them because no one else is doing it. Yeah. But here's what I saw. I saw a mother with two children. The mother was wearing a mask. The children weren't wearing masks. <laughs> I just wondered what was the point. Um, I understand that maybe she couldn't have brought have, have not brought the children, but uh, you, what did her wearing, what did her wearing the mask accomplished besides allowing her into the store but but like in terms of safety it did absolutely nothing because her children her children could have just been transmitters of it yeah and you're technically not supposed to have more than one person of your household in the grocery stores right now and i guess like putting a child there strongly discourage having uh yeah uh, anyone like but like you could have left your kid in the car i know it's you know people frown upon that it's nice out roll the windows down you know yeah. It is what it is. Like, I remember I was left in a car so many times as a child. I'm I told, alive. I told my parents that, and they were like, you can't do that. And I was uh-huh. like, yeah, I think pandemics require exceptional circumstances. <laughs> Our exceptional circumstances require exceptional measures. So exactly. leaving kids in the car isn't the worst thing. And I think it's fine um, to leave your kid in the car for yeah. a minute on, on a nice on, day. Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, you know, all those if, they're, if they're able to open a car door, then it should be fine. Well, let's talk. Let's talk about the dry run. So they're talking about how oh, we just want to see if people can abide by the social distancing rules and and all that and that stuff. I guess people think that the beach doesn't have coronavirus for some reason, so they just I don't wear masks because it's windy. Maybe I I don't know what people's thought processes are, but I don't think it's a good sign no. <laughs> for how this is going to go. And I, well, I was just saying I was, I was very happy about these. The slight reopening, it's kind of cautious. I like it. And I also like the numbers trending downwards in terms of the daily infections. That's good news. But guys, those numbers could go back up and you could be the Very reason funny. why. <laughs> so moving on, let's talk about, this was weird. You won't believe what happened on NJ 101.5. Well, it's New Jersey 101.5 for a reason. <laughs> yeah. Trump called in. That's already crazy. <laughs> and... He actually praised Murphy for some reason. Um, I'm going to read the quote because we don't have the uh, audio. This is uh, from Politico.com. During a 10-minute call with conservative NJ101.5 host Bill Spadia, 
Trump called Murphy a, quote, good governor. He's working very hard, I will say. He's very liberal. And you're not there, and I'm not there, but he's trying. He is trying very hard. What is there? I don't know. Uh, it was a t- I guess it's a 10-minute They tried to set up a 10-minute call in just one line. Can I give the president some benefit of the doubt that it was sort of leg- like understandable? So I just felt like mentioning that. That's, that's weird. <laughs> I don't really it's have weird. much to say. It's strange. I don't it's, know why. Yeah, because it... I don't know. It's It says more about New Jersey 101.5 than it does Trump. You know what how, I mean? How awkward <laughs> that was for uh, the host because they bash uh, Murphy daily and they hate him. And then Trump calls in. He's like, hey, he's pretty good. And they're like, oh, uh, 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 crap, you're my cult leader. What do I say? Yeah, that's strange. But yeah. you know, what can we do? <laughs> so very strange. Trump's going to Trump. Exactly. So moving on, I think that, that's the end of... Murphy's Corner. That's Santa Murphy's Corner. <laughs> Into so, the headlines. Let's talk about how bad will layoffs be. We know that layoffs are coming for the state workers. Uh, they could be coming very soon. And it might affect, actually, it probably will affect uh, New Jersey teachers as well. So NJ.com had a pretty good article on this called COVID-19 layoffs are coming for NJ teachers. How bad will it get? I just want to read through the article a little bit. Facing a Friday deadline to notify those teachers who won't be brought back next year, many districts have already told non-tenured educators that they won't be offered a contract for the fall until schools know just how badly their finances will be hurt by COVID-19, said Richard uh, Boza, executive director of the New Jersey Association of School Administrators. And it's pretty crazy. I think any significant cuts are going to be severe for schools, and roughly 80% of school district budgets are people costs. Nobody wants to be a doomsdayer, but there is only so much you can do. Governor Murphy's administration now projects a $10 billion drop in revenue projections through through next year, leaving state aid in question. How much funding will districts lose? How much help will the federal government offer? How much will expenses rise if schools have to supply masks and check every student's temperature next fall? Let's talk about each of these real quick. How much funding will districts lose? That's a, that's a great question. Yeah. Uh, the, we know the entire uh, revenue structure of the state is just, is just cr- collapsing. And it's also going to be interesting to see because different regions, depending on um, how much they rely on state aid to function, it's going to be interesting, like the the class divide that might spring up even more during, you know, next school year reopening. Yeah. And I wonder, like, you know, the the rich kids will have the at home network of like, you know, good Internet, good tutors, um, tutors and all that stuff to be able to end their and their, their parents. private schools and their pr- parents will all have the resources to be able to ensure that they continue to get at least some decent education. I wonder how that will, will work with public schools. So the next one is how much will help will the federal government offer? <laughs> uh, we've been talking about that uh, every week now, and it doesn't yeah. seem like anything at all. I, I think there is technically, I have to double check this. I'll do it like next week because they keep talking about another relief bill coming. And I, I've just been following, they've been talking about it for for weeks now so listen what did nancy say <laughs> uh uh what was it calm down yeah calm down calm down okay <laughs> yeah. it's under control okay cool uh and how much will expenses rise if schools have to supply masks and check every student's temperature next fall that's those are excellent questions i didn't even think of that especially since we're looking at as i'll talk about later probably uh almost the 99 chance of having a second wave in the fall so it's pretty much guaranteed that we're either going to reclose or or if kids are going to school, we're going to have problems with uh, 
having to supply masks. You have the other question of social distancing within classrooms. It's going to be a mess. Well, it's also the the strain of Corona. I, I think it's Kawasaki called Kawasaki disease that that's also springing up for children. It's a rare COVID related inflammatory disease affecting children. So according to NBC News Boston, so it's a deadly Kawasaki disease and deadly new COVID linked syndrome identified in right now they're finding it in children in Massachusetts and um, Connecticut. So and the, the what you need to know is basically that it's a pediatric inflammatory multi-system syndrome or PIMS is now being seen across the country and it's striking newborns and teenagers alike. So um, up to five children have already died and at least 135 have been diagnosed with the condition in New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, and Massachusetts. And the condition occurs six weeks after a child is exposed to COVID-19 and common symptoms include a fever, inflammation, and rash. So this is another thing that schools need to be aware of and be, um, you know, hypervigilant about because it's not just COVID. There are different strains that are stemming from it that are going to be deadly to children. And if you're opening up and your concerns are only for COVID, you have to be aware because we don't know where we're going to be in September or even in August, you know? (laughs) Exactly. So some more information on teachers. This is quoting from the article. Schools can still lay off staff at any time once state and federal revenue sources become more certain, although there may be a contractual requirement for severance pay, Boza said. He expects some districts will struggle to close budget gaps without slashing teachers. Nearly 200 districts were already losing state aid before the coronavirus, and some had already approved staff cuts. Wow. No district wants to cut teachers, but a decade of trimming around the edges has left few options. See, this is the problem with the kind of neoliberal politics that just cuts state aid everywhere and forces the costs of existence on onto the people through regressive taxation and like market pricings like that. Yeah. Uh, when you we're seeing it now, the, the countries in the world that don't follow the neoliberal model had better responses to the coronavirus in terms of public health and economic recovery than the countries that follow the neoliberal model, which is also on a world scale called the uh, Washington Consensus. So it's th- this is disastrous. I know that they don't want to lay people off, or maybe it's fur- maybe they're going to get furloughed, right? And um, for state workers, but this could be avoided if if the, if the state, I mean the the federal government, just bailed states out, ensured people had jobs, uh, the things we've been talking about for weeks now. This is. This is key. This is yeah. real people's lives. This is an entire generation's lives uh, yeah. at stake. People I'm, are graduating now into 20, this. This I can't imagine that. No, definitely not. And, you know, shopping for where you're going to go for college, all that kind of stuff is just like on the table, you know, of yeah. are we going to are we going to address this issue or are we not? Like, is it going to be worth it to financially go to, to college and until, you know, this blows over? And I'm going to jump ahead to that other headline we're going to talk about of um, the Archdiocese permanently closing 10 Catholic schools in New Jersey, because it goes along the same thread. So according to the patch, Archdiocese permanently closing 10 Catholic schools in New Jersey. So schools will close in Newark, Crest Hill, Fairlawn, Caldwell, Irvington, East Orange, Springfield, New Providence, and Union and Elizabeth. So those articles by Eric Kiefer and... Their officials are saying that they um, they're going to close the schools, and they announced it on Thursday, last Thursday. 
And this was a move that they were already going to be considering before COVID hit. And it's just now it's even more so being pushed forward because you're going to have to social distance. You're going to have to do online learning. You're going to have to do all this extra stuff. And if you're a school that's ill-equipped for that kind of stuff, then, you know, it's, it's not gonna, not gonna fly. So I, I'm worried about just the school system in general, as we know it now, it could be completely changed moving forward because private schools, public schools, and also Catholic is a private school, but, you know, religious-based schools, you know, those kinds of institutions in just high school or elementary, pre-K, all that kind of stuff, you know, how we educate is going to change. And I don't know when it's going to, if it's ever going to go back to normal as we see it, because kids are, you know, you're supposed to be considering like where you're going to go to college, where you're going to go to, if you're going to enroll and pay tuition for primary and secondary, where are you going to spend your money if you're a parent? Are you going to spend it on primary and secondary education? Or are you going to spend it on higher learning? You know what I mean? What is, you know, and if you are religious and you, you want to have your education with that folded in, the opportunity now is going to be less so because you're going to have to deal with this card that the, the Archdiocese of, of Newark is putting forth. Like, it's just interesting. And it might be a way for some schools to close up and just say, well, Corona, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, but let's right. on that. <laughs> so I had to check to see if this article was satire. Um, <laughs> and I'm still not quite certain that it, that it isn't, but Everything points to the New York Daily News uh, being tabloidish, but not satire. Yeah. So stop leaving <laughs> poop, bottles of urine, and parks, demand New Jersey officials. <laughs> Jersey officials warn residents to stop leaving poop and bottles filled with urine in the parks, or authorities may shut them back down. This is an article written on May 12th, or published on May 12th. The Garden State opened county and state parks on May 2nd with the caveat that people maintain social distancing. But for the second week in a row, Park Police have found a disturbing amount of human feces and plastic bottles full of urine scattered throughout open spaces. Our <laughs> state park police reported an inordinate amount of urine and feces being left behind in, in state parks. State Police Superintendent Pat Callahan said Monday, there is zero tolerance for that. You're not going to get a warning if we catch you leaving something like that behind, said Governor Phil Murphy. So, folks, please don't do that. And uh, the rest of the article, I mean, that's just gold. So apparently it kind of does explain that. Uh, restrooms are closed uh, out of concern for you know spreading the coronavirus. Sure, I don't know how hard it is to go to a park and, and not uh, you know pee or or poop in it, but <laughs> just, um, just it's don't. Obviously, very hard. Sick, <laughs> <laughs> so maybe don't. Yeah, uh, if you're in fear that you might poo or pee your pants if you go to the park, don't go to the park. Yeah, I also think it's strange that like you're leaving why would you leave if you're gonna pee in, a, pee in a park why are you leaving a bottle yeah why aren't you just i'm not advocating how to do it but like like you know animals do that too right so like yeah. like why wouldn't you just like pee your business on a tree or yeah. something like why are you peeing into a bottle to then litter yeah that's what and i'm then, getting and you know with the feces thing it's it's similarly like not a good idea to just defecate everywhere but like, yeah. why aren't you burying it? Cats know to do that. Why, you... <laughs> why would you? Uh, if my house cat could manage not to poop in a bottle and leave it out for me to find, I think you could too. I also like that uh, 
people had identified that it's human feces specifically because it doesn't say they're in bottles. So um, it's just funny to me. Like, like it's not like they knew it was a particularly large dog or something. They they're like someone inve- someone investigated a team of feces specialists figured out which it was. Oh, uh, Winnipeg, New Jersey. Yeah. So. This is why we can't have nice things. This is why we have to yeah. close it back up. <laughs> so don't do that. Uh, it's kind of like a shame corner. I'm like shaming. Yeah. Don't, do it. don't um, do it. Did they mention what park specifically so we could avoid that? Uh, no, but the article has a nice picture of Liberty State Park in Jersey City and everyone's abiding by uh, social distancing, but it doesn't say anything happened there. So, so we're going to say it was Liberty State Park. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll say it's there. Moving on. Okay. Wave parades, right? Yeah, what are they? Who are they? Why did they exist? I don't know if our listeners are familiar. It's it started off as like a nice trend I saw on social media and then even in my neighborhood. It's just a fleet of cars, you know, wishing a a young child. Like I don't see any teenagers doing it. I just see like young children doing this of having, you know, a carpool lane come by and like honk and wave and show like happy birthday signs and balloons. I think they might even drop off presents. I can't, I don't, I'm not too invested because I don't have kids, but they're considering doing it for, you know, graduating seniors. They're considering doing it for any other kind of celebration, but it became a moment of concern because people, I guess, weren't social. Cause that's another thing. If you like, if you open up a little bit and give people these <laughs> wave parades, some people will use that as an excuse to break social distancing rules. You know what I mean? Uh, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. I mean, we like see it with even it's like the parks. smaller things. It's yeah. The, the parks uh, and, <laughs> and the beach and and everything else. People just don't follow the rules in yeah. this country. And they're making this thing go longer than it needs to go. And, and uh, I don't know what to even say or do. <laughs> I mean, it goes along with the executive order um, 142 that we just talked about, you know, gatherings in cars. It works if it if you allow it to work correctly. But when the people come together, they get so excited and overwhelmed, you know, they break the rules. And then it leads to spreading of the pandemic and then people dying. So just stay in your cars, people, if you're doing your drive-by. Like, throw the present at the children and drive by and move on with your day. You don't even touch I, people. Don't touch I, people. <laughs> I agree. Uh, no touching. No, no touching. touching guys. So I feel it's only fair that since we made fun of the federal flyover that we um, discuss the <laughs> New Jersey state flyover. So this is an article from May 12th. New Jersey Air National Guard honors healthcare workers with flyover. Six ABC News reports that pilots from the New Jersey Air National Guard flew over New Jersey Tuesday in a salute in frontline work. Uh, salute to frontline workers. Uh, then it gives you. I'm not going to bore you with the details of the planes because <laughs> I don't even care. And then it just starts quoting a bunch of like HR type people. It's a once in a lifetime event. It's nice Is to see it? people support us as a healthcare workers and what we do. Said emergency emergency department nurse Lucia Demo. Uh, I guess she's actually a nurse. One person thought that. It means a lot. It gives the associates a moment to pause and realize what they are doing. It makes an impact for everyone in the community. Said Jefferson Cherry Hill, Chief Administration Officer Lisa Dutter. That's who I was thinking of when I originally said that. (laughs) Okay. And then it's just a bunch of people, random people they found who liked it. And I imagine they jumped from person to person. It's like, dude, why are they doing this? It's just lazy journalism. You know what I mean? Like, 
if you're going to have the people who are excited about it, also have the people who are against it, like cough, cough, maybe us. Uh, yeah, also doesn't tell you how much money it costs. Doesn't tell you. It doesn't dive into how weird it is that we have military flyovers. Other, other countries aren't doing this. Yeah. Okay. Like, like this is some weird nationalistic it's stuff. A, yeah, that's, it's it, the same it, thing it, why you have so much. Like Russia and, and like North Korea for having like tank parades and other like yeah. weird stuff like that. This is like our tank parade. Like we don't do it. Is. It's weird. <laughs> okay. It, it's strange. It doesn't happen anywhere else. It, it, it's really weird. Yeah. We're like the only it, country on earth that just like flaunts military stuff like like all the time like this. Uh, uh, like obviously Russia, I just named a few that do, that do similar things. But uh, we also like will just openly on air pontificate about like blowing up and destroying countries. Like that's not insane. Yeah. And the, you see that kind of nationalism. You see it with our, our sports. You see it with football. You see it with baseball. I get it. You want to support the troops. You want to honor them. Great. But the... The language you're using to express, you know, the the athletes and their movement is all very militaristic and it's all, you know, very, you know, pro-nationalism. And that's all well and good. But, you know, if you're going to have a football game, just have a football game. You know, you don't have to bring in the military to constantly remind people that that's what we're, you know, trying to instill in our pride in. Like, there's other things to be proud about with America, you know, it's just... I want to honor people in a different way. <laughs> exactly. I want to compare two reactions, three, I guess, technically. We have in the United States, we don't really honor anybody. In some way, this still doesn't really honor the uh, healthcare workers and frontline workers in, in any real sense. No. It's more like, it's just more like worshiping of our military as if it's an honor for the healthcare workers to have what is essentially some employee for the, for the military to just fly around yeah. in a plane. Yeah, why not give them PPE? Why not yeah, give them things like that, more testing? Right? So here's, here's what Hazard some other pay. countries have done. Like, I looked it up and I was curious. Uh, I, I can read French, so I read the French news. And the, uh, oh, in you France, do, Mike? Oh, oh I do, you yeah. do? So the French, uh, the French news, what a lot of them have been talking about every now and then, is they've had like profiles on people who've died. Or they've had like, you know, moments of reflection and, and things like that. Similarly, in China, I was curious, they did the same thing. They had uh, on, even in English, you can go see it on the, their state TV page. They have like 100 or 200 healthcare workers who have died. They have profiles for like each one. You could read about their lives and all that stuff. All of them that died of coronavirus. They have different, um, they've had like a national day of silence for the people who have died for like a couple of minutes, you're supposed to like, you know, uh, wow. mourn the losses of people who have died and, uh, and other things like that. But you and know, my even acknowledge death here in any like real sense. It's like, the dehumanizing and the dissociation and the, that emotional wall that you put up from you and that number that you're seeing of all the deaths in the United States because of COVID. And you're supposed to, as American, Love the military, worship it, and the economy. <laughs> yeah, I can't help it. but think it's partly linked to the fact that Trump doesn't want this to be a big deal, even though yeah. it's huge. It's the, it's the worst thing that's happened to us in a hundred years, and yeah. without like that's not even exaggeration. Like I might be understating it. It's it's really bad, and he just kind of wants to sweep it under the rug and just forget about it. Uh, we're getting to a point where I don't know if you've seen it or listeners have heard the president has stated multiple times now that he doesn't think counting coronavirus numbers is a big deal. Like he actually thinks it's annoying that we we count them. 
so Trump has already mentioned that he says that too much coronavirus testing makes the U.S. look bad. Oh. And he says, quote, the media likes to say we have the most cases, but we do by far the most testing. That's not true. Aside, everyone knows that. <laughs> if we did very little testing, we wouldn't have the most cases. So in a way, by doing all of this testing, we make ourselves look bad. So that's terrifying. If you think of the implications, it sounds like he wants to sweep it under the rug. And then that was from an article from May 7th. Uh, Business Insider had a kind of a more updated article on May 13th saying that Trump is pressuring the CDC to change its death toll uh, methodology and produce a lower figure. So he's he's pretty serious about this. In what way does this honor even help uh, the healthcare workers or help us? Well, they're just going to have more flyovers and everyone's going to forget about it, Mike. Like, why <laughs> yeah, are you yeah. making such a big deal about it? <laughs> Once football's back. <laughs> they need the football and baseball back and yeah. then no one's going to care. Exactly. So... That's all. That's all I wanted to say about that. Just so less flyovers, more real. <laughs> oh, do- the doom's coming. The doom and gloom. But that's about it for the headlines. You know, beaches are probably opening all over the safe. state. If you go to the beaches, be to safe. Be safe. You know, it's a nightmare. But this leads us into my segment of, you know, what are we doing during our quarantine? You know, are we being productive? Are we being optimistic? Or are we... In the doom and gloom. And if you are in the doom and gloom, what can you be doing to not be there anymore? So, Mike, why don't you talk about <laughs> like what, I, what I've been doing? Your doom and gloom and what okay. you've been doing. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I've, I've been pretty uh, pessimistic about how it's going to go because I just see how things are being are going, how they're developing. But I have to say, it hasn't stopped me from actually uh, enjoying my the lockdown as much as I can. So I like languages. So I've been studying Chinese and I actually kind of have a funny story about that. <laughs> I uh, um, I do like a language exchange where I, I talk to like native Chinese speakers who want to learn English and uh, I help teach them English and they help teach me Chinese. And the app that I'm using basically has like a Facebook like news feed where you just post uh, either an audio clip of yourself trying to speak the language or text and people will correct your pronunciation or your grammar and vocabulary and things like that. So I'm never really sure what to talk about. So I talked. So I was like, "Well, you know, I'm just going to talk about my cats." So I started. Yeah, I'll, my first one started with saying, uh, like in Chinese, that my cat today uh, sneezed on my face, and then I just like put a picture of my cat, and then like it got very popular. So I, I keep posting stuff about the cats, and it's actually pretty good vocabulary because if you uh, just think about it, you're using things like you know, placing things on top of something else. So then you need to know those words, but also like, where does that go in the grammatical uh, constructions and things like that. And um, it's gotten to the point where now my cats are like mini celebrities, at least on this app in (laughs) China. I get about five to six new people a day asking me, like, hey, like, how are your cats doing? Uh, they, uh, what, what, what are they up to? Uh, yeah, can, can you send me some pics? Like, like I want, and I sent one one time. They're like, no, I've already seen one. Send me a new one. And I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> so, like, it's 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 actually really funny because uh, <laughs> it's just strange. And it's actually been really enjoyable, though, because I feel like cats are, like, universal, universally adorable creatures. Yeah. And um, it's been a very, really like- funny cultural exchange of, of uh, it's been with, like, I've learned a lot in terms of like the language and the culture, but also it's just been really funny. You know, you both speak cat, you know, it's a universal language. Yeah. (laughs) Plus my cat's got Chinese names now and that's cool. (laughs) Well, I have been trying to make the most of my time and I 
do a lot of nothing, but that's something I enjoy. It's for my own mental well-being. So I'll like watch TV for hours on end. And like I've said previously, I watch old episodes. I watch new episodes, but I enjoy going back in time and not being here. You know what I mean? <laughs> like yeah. being seeing people at restaurants. Escapism. And, yes. Yeah, exactly. But I also have been reading. Have you been reading? Yeah, I have. Yeah, what have you been reading? I've read, um, and this is a book that I've now learned a lot of people are recommending people read during quarantine because it's it's The Great Alone by oh, Kristen no. Hanna. And it's this book about Alaska, like this this uh, this family, her father's like an alcoholic and he is kind of like a drifter. He used to be um, this like lively uh, mechanic, car mechanic. But then he went to, he got in the draft, he went to Vietnam and he was a POW and he comes back and he's completely changed. So they uproot their lives in, I think they were on the outskirts of Seattle and moved to Alaska and they go and they homestead and they've never done it before and they're very unprepared. So the great alone was a really great escapism for me, you know, to pretend I'm in Alaska for a little bit. <laughs> so cool. I, I read it for like a week, not even so because so, I was reading it every day. And I got so lost in the landscape and what it meant to homestead and also, you know, being a female pioneer woman kind of stuff. And I also read Manhattan Beach by Jennifer Egan. So and that was Jennifer Egan. She's a very interesting writer. I was first introduced to her in college, but it was kind of like a mystery and it went from different time periods a little bit so it was a good read but the great alone was very very wonderful so i've been trying to read a little bit that's great Re reading's a great ho hobby to have yeah times because there's like i'm sure a lot of people have burnt out on like all the tv and shows by now so yeah. you can pick up some books that you haven't uh, uh read but you've wanted to what have you been uh, reading great. i've been reading i like science fiction so i've oh, been you reading do. the yeah i've been reading the expanse um that's a great show but this show is based off of the books and the books are even better and it, they're it's phenomenal and uh i'm like on the sixth book out of there's eight of them released but there's a ninth book coming out i think it was supposed to come out in may but coronavirus i don't know if that's changed anything <laughs> but that's okay because they're still they're really long books there's like like 500 pages each so it's good and they're like they're well written and just fun and like it's really creative science fiction because it's Basically, if you don't know The Expanse, it takes place, I want to say like 100 or 200 years in the future. So it's like the near future when, when we just started colonizing the solar system. So it's got like this really, it brings you into like an imaginative world of like what that looks like. But it's very serious too, because it tries to get into the like social, political implications all while like the first book is set up between two characters. And it's like one's like an investigator and one's like someone who, who's basically caught up in um, this I don't want to spoil anything, but like a wild uh, <laughs> series of events that go beyond what like they uh, first seem at first. And that's just like the all the books are just like unraveling from what what happened in the first book. So wow. it's like it, it's really it's really good. It's it's creative that yeah, it constantly like expands into wider and wider implications and reaches. And um, they're really entertaining and, and well written. So I, I've been enjoying reading those because I don't I usually don't read fiction. I like fiction, but I, I, I like to read a lot of uh, uh, nonfiction, like uh, philosophy, political science, and economic books and stuff. Yeah, but I, I needed I, nerd. yeah, because I'm a, I'm a nerd. <laughs> I, I am, and, and uh, but I, like you said, I need I need the escapism because I was got yeah. kind of crazy. Uh, like in a normal like year, I wouldn't care about reading about like theories of what 
uh, an economic depressions like or things like that. But I was like, nah, just, I'm living through this. I don't need yeah. to read any more about this. And uh, so I almost picked you're up living like, it. Yeah, I have a bunch of French lit, but a lot of it's uh, just depressing. That just happens to be what I own. And I was like, I'm not going to read like Albert, Albert Camus, like The Plague, which has been, yeah, of, that's actually been, I don't know, that's a little trivia. It's been sold out recently because people have been buying it because they're like, oh, wow, what did he say about this? And it's a great, great book. I recommend reading it, but it's not enjoyable to read at this time. Yeah, I do like listening to um, like, uh, I like doing Edith Piaf radio, like on Spotify, because it's something about the French language and her in particular. It's very sad, but it's also a little bit of resilience and beauty yeah. <laughs> so yeah. when i'm when i want to be in the i'm in a i'm in the pandemic i'll put that on and you know center myself in the sadness and then move on with my life i recommend people also take up a hobby that develops you in a way so like reading is one of those uh yeah. even if you're not um if you're reading like people say like oh you're just reading fiction like i never wear it that way because it's uh, uh fiction can enrich you in, in imaginative ways and it's giving uh, you exposure to a different way of thinking and a different exactly. language, you know, like different words, you know, exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So I, I and, and concepts, too. Uh, that's not a great thing about fiction. They can explore things. They're like it's freer to explore things in a way that uh, nonfiction is, is kind of geared towards whatever is happening now. And also, I wanted to share with you, I'm really I don't want to brag, but I'm really happy about my progress. And I, I talked about right when we got into quarantine about having quarantine goals. And I had a couple goals that I set out. I wanted to decrease my mile time and I wanted to lose weight because everyone's talking about the quarantine 15 and I already gained 15 post-grad and then I lost it. And then I gained 15 by being at a desk job in New York. And then I had to lose now like 20 i'm my goal is to lose 30 pounds and i'm almost at 20 right now wow I'm really excited job. about that and i reduced my mile time which i said that in the beginning of this was one of my goals by two minutes <laughs> that that's great it's that's great. it's it's really good and i want to share it because it's something i'm proud of and it, it's something that has kept me busy through now what is it month, month yeah it, feel, it, feel, it feels like a year uh <laughs> I'm finding that it's hard to keep track of time during coronavirus because yeah. it's just if you don't if you're out of work like uh, I am and, and you're you're still out of work yeah. right yeah, yeah. so <laughs> you're out of my life <laughs> it's just kind of days go by I forgot today we're recording on a Sunday May 17th and I just forgot today was Sunday because the yeah. days have no meaning and it's been like that for what feels like months now and yeah. it's just I, I don't know you need to have you need to make like a schedule I've tried to keep a schedule for myself so like. I'll exercise in like the mid afternoon and um, make sure I do some reading and, and like language practice in, in both the morning and, and right at night because uh, uh, we have a 12 hour difference with China. So if I have to converse <laughs> with people, I have to converse with them when they're awake. Yeah. So I recommend people do something similar, like, like try to create a, a schedule that doesn't have to be super strict, no, right? yeah. but, but the kind of self-discipline will also, it's a good skill to have but it also helps you have some control over your time yeah. because it's easy to just have the, the hours and days slip by and you have like no idea what's been going on. Cause you, cause it's just, I, it's easy. It's just like this time goes, I've done it. I've, <laughs> I've, I've been watched a show. And then the only reason I, I knew time passed cause the, uh, I would wake up the next day and be like, I'm on episode 14 and I'm looking, I'm like, I'm on episode 20. I was like, well, I must've watched them. 
no one else is watching this. Exactly. And that's one of those things of it's easy to make yourself miserable during this time. You know what I mean? Your make your mental health be, you know, plummet because if you don't if you're not physically active, you're not going outside, you're not thinking about things that you're grateful for and things that you can strive towards and accomplish little goals. Like I'm, it's really silly, but I make sure I, I do my laundry every week, even though it's not as much laundry as it normally would be. You know what I mean? Cause it's just like, I could wait three weeks to do laundry <laughs> because I'm reusing the same clothes. You know what I mean? I'm not going out. I'm not, you know, trying to dress to impress anyone. So it's one of those things that I try to make things normal. Like every Sunday, I grocery shop and meal prep for the week. And I try every day to walk my dog at least a mile every day. So it's these little things that get me out and moving because it's so easy just to sit at home and do nothing. And Cooking's then- a good one too. Exactly. Yeah. Practice practice cooking right now because uh, it's the best time to do it. Yeah. Uh, you don't know. Um, you can just look up recipes, try them. Uh, you'll fail at a few. That's what I yeah. do all the time. Work and on your your it's cutting okay skills. It, yeah, yeah. I've gotten good at cutting uh, onions and peppers and all that stuff. Yeah. It's nice. So many things to do, and it's little things like that where you know, in normal life, I I would have no interest in learning how to like julienne. Or, you know yeah. what I mean? I would have no interest in it. But now I have all this time on my hands. and I learned the correct way to fold shirts, according to my husband. <laughs> I, I still don't know how to do that. I don't know how to. I mean, I, I now the correct, know how. The correct how, way to fold them is just hang them up by it. With exactly. A, <laughs> I can't fold them. Yeah. yeah. And that's the thing. Like, I would just, I didn't care. And I didn't have time to care. But now I'm like, oh, this is, you know, it doesn't create the wrinkles. It looks like we live at a a clothing store now with all the folded shirts but it's it's little things like that where you're you know it seems stupid but you are accomplishing something even though it's so it seems so you know i recommend school. setting uh activity based goals instead of performance based goals it can be really easy, uh hard to evaluate how well you're doing at something in a hobby so i'll use the like language learning, for instance, as a uh, uh, an example, but you can apply it to anything like cooking or literally any other hobby that you're trying to get better at. So it, it, for me, it could be like, oh, I want to, you know, like my goal is obviously to speak like say fluent Chinese at some point, right? But that doesn't just happen. But if you have, a, <laughs> if you have a performance-based goal, you're going to be like, okay, so I want to learn what, like, how do I evaluate how well I'm speaking? That's it's it's kind of abstract, especially unless you're taking like a course where they can like literally grade you. Yeah, so it's, what you have it's to do overwhelming. Is, is overwhelming too. So so what you do instead is like, okay, I want to have at, per month at least two to three uh, 20 minute conversations with a person in that language. And then other things like that, I want to like record myself speaking uh, at least once a week for 10 minutes fully in that language on like at least one topic and repeat that over and over again. So and then like by recording that progress, progress after weeks or even months time has passed, you can, you can look back and see like, Oh yeah. Like I'm definitely making progress. Like I was, I was awful. <laughs> I was awful. Like weeks ago, but even with cooking, you can do something similar. If you're like, no, I want, like you want to be able to make a creme brulee, right. At some point, don't start there. Start like making, you know, like different pasta dishes. You, yeah. you, everyone wants to make the, the master dish, but just start saying like, I'm going to make like two meals uh, that are different every month. And then yeah. just like, that, that's a performance-based one. Instead of, I'm going to make like the best meal I can every month. That's a more of a, uh, 
I mean, a goal-based one versus a performance-based one. So yeah. I think it helps. It, it also, it's good because then you can get a sense of your progress and what your failings are and things like that. And um, it's easy to just feel like nothing's happening during this time. So having some sense of uh, advancement, of progress, yeah, by like your own uh, stuff is, is enjoyable. It's what keeps it keeps me insane. Yeah, I'd, and it keeps, I'd, I'd it be going insane have that. Yeah, and it keeps you from self-sabotaging. You know what I mean? And that that mentality of just the like, giving up, like, oh, I'm never going to be able to speak Chinese fluently. Well, you are learning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Do you want to share with listeners what you did learn to say? The the sentence you repeat every time. Patience too terrible. It's embarrassing. Moving on, that that, that wraps up uh, my segment of you know what we're doing now. So, Mike, you want to tell me about? I wanted know, to have yeah. I wanted to have doom. discussion about the future, and um, it's it's a little. I'm I'm a little bit of a doomer. I don't know. Are you optimistic about the future? I, I am. What concerns me is. People are saying like, oh, we should open up casinos, you should open up salons, you should open up um, restaurants. And the way they're saying they want to open them up is they want to have like a little, it almost looks like a greenhouse over a a table and chair for like outside dining. And then they want to have like people in masks and they want to have all these like glass partitions around the casino floors to, you know, increase social distancing and, you know, stop the spread. And in salons, they put like this weird, like almost like a curtain over you so that you can get your mani-pedi, but it's all just, you know, signs that you shouldn't open up if that's what it, <laughs> that's what it's taking to keep people safe. You know what I mean? Right. Like, right. and that's not a future I want to move forward towards, you know what I mean? I want, I want, you know, things to open up and just, you know, with the stay at home orders, stay at home. Like if you want to do, I don't know, I don't, do you really need nail salons right now? That's what, that's what I don't understand. Like I get restaurants reopening in a safe way, having pickup and like takeout, all that kind of stuff. Sounds good. Retail shops do the same thing. Everything else do the same thing as much as you can, but nail salons, I, the way they're trying to open them, I think it was in, in Alabama, maybe in the South where they did. And they had the weird curtain around people. Very weird. Very, very weird. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree. So I was thinking about this this week, like what does the future hold? And I, I just think let's start with like the immediate future of uh, summer's approaching. And a lot of people are saying that coronavirus will just disappear magically one day. There'll be zero cases. Because, because it can't exist in the heat. <laughs> yeah. And I think these people have never been to Singapore where it was, it's very been very hot all year <laughs> and they've had coronavirus. And so the Center for Communicable Disease Dynamics at uh, Harvard, one of the doctors there, uh, Mark Lip- Lipsitch, he's a professor that of sounds, epidemiology. That sounds accurate. He's, yeah, he's the professor of epidemiology and director at the Center for Communicable Disease Dynamics. And he asks... Seasonality of SARS-CoV-2. Will COVID-19 go away on its own in warmer weather? And he even kind of humorously gives you a TLDR. Probably not. So (laughs) I want to read what he says a little bit because I think it's important. And he explains pretty logically in clear language for people like me who aren't doctors and scientists uh, to understand. Oh, I thought, I thought, wait, we're on this podcast. Uh, We're um, doctors at heart, not doctors in mind. (laughs) Um, so myth one is in 2003, SARS went away on its own as the weather got warmer. He says SARS did not die of natural causes. 
It was killed by extremely intense public health interventions in mainland Chinese cities, Hong Kong, Vietnam, Thailand, Canada, and elsewhere. These involved isolating cases, quarantining their contacts, a measure of social distancing, and other intensive efforts. These worked well for SARS because those were, who were most infectious were also quite ill in a distinctive way. The sick cases were the transmitters, so isolating the sick curb transmission. In Toronto, SARS resurged after the initial wave was controlled and precautions were discontinued. This resurgence was eventually linked to a, a case from the first wave. The resurgence confirms that it was the control measures that stopped transmission the first time. That's important because there's a myth that that you know the previous SARS, as he says, went away, and there's also just a myth that like it's since it's like the flu, which is not like the flu, it'll go away during uh, the, the warmer year. season. Yeah. So he, he talks about that this this second myth, and the second myth is the common cold coronavirus are seasonal, uh, with little transmission in the summer. So SARS COVID SARS COVID two will be as well. And he says that predicting how a novel virus will behave based on how others behave. Is always speculative, but sometimes it's all we have to do when we have so little else to go on. So he gives a couple different factors for like why it might not be the case. So first one has to do with the environment. And he said a, a recent preprint on which he collaborated suggests that transmission is possible of coronavirus is possible in many different climates and points out that Singapore, for example, which lies nearly on the equator, has had significant transmission. This is one piece of evidence, but as his colleague, uh, Dr. Eli uh, Perensevich, I nailed that one, has pointed out that there are yeah. many differences between Singapore in February and a temperate zone in summer, different day length, ultraviolet radiation, other factors that may be important for coronavirus. We simply don't know. He's saying basically there's evidence that it doesn't go away because it's in during the heat because there's places in the world that are hot. Yeah, even in our own country. Even our own country. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, we don't really know. And and to just state it as a fact and to base all of public health response policy on it is is irrational. The next thing he says is new viruses have a temporary but important advantage. Few or no individuals in the population are immune to them. Old viruses, which have been in the population for longer, operate on a thinner margin. Most individuals are immune, and they have to make do with transmitting among the few who aren't. In simple terms, viruses that have been around for a long time can make a living, spread through the population, only when the conditions are most favorable, in this case, in the winter. The consequence is that new viruses, like, like pandemic influenza, can spread outside the normal season for their longer established cousins. For example, in 2009, the pandemic started in April-May, well outside of flu season, quieted in the summer, perhaps because of the importance of ch uh, children and transmission of the flu, and then rebounded in September and October before the start of the normal flu season. Seasonality does not constrain pandemic viruses the way it does old ones. This pattern is common for flu pandemics. So even when you base it off of flu, uh, flu pandemics, what we see is that actually that's not very promising that it's going to go away during the summer <laughs> it, at, at all. Uh, it might minimize uh, itself for a little bit, but it's going to come back really hard second wave. in the second wave. So another thing about the second wave is um, the director of the CDC itself said is basically inevitable. So reporting in the Washington Post, they said there's a possibility that the assault of the virus on our nation next winter will actually be even more difficult than the one we just went through. CDC director Robert Redfield said in an interview with the Washington Post. And when I've said this to others, they kind of put their head back. They don't understand what I mean. 
we're going to have the flu epidemic and the coronavirus epidemic at the same time, he said. Having two simultaneous respiratory outbreaks would put unimaginable strain on the healthcare system, he said. The first wave of COVID-19, the disease caused by the coronavirus, has killed more than 42,000 people across the country. It has overwhelmed hospitals and revealed gap, uh, gaping shortages in test kits, ventilators, and protective equipment for healthcare workers. So I didn't even think about that. We're still going to have the flu. And, and it's it's also going to be the, the flu symptoms and COVID symptoms, very yeah, similar. And exactly. with the flu itself, you have healthcare workers saying, don't even come to the emergency room just during flu season because you're going to get the flu. Like if yeah. you have a non-emergency thing, like some people might have like a tummy ache and it'll bring them to the ER. Like don't bring anyone with you to the ER, they'll say, because they're going to catch the flu and you're going to catch the flu and then you're going to spread the flu. Like with if, COVID and the flu, it's going to be a complete disaster. If we had a more competent leadership at the top and all throughout that cared about the people and was prepared to invest heavily in them uh, in, in monetarily and like through like, say, like mass building hospitals or like uh, mass producing PPE and uh, basically just paying people to stay at home for however long it takes so we don't suffer from this. And then like really being sure to uh, open things up only when the risk is minimal. I wouldn't be so much of a doomer, but uh, we have President Trump as our president and it's awful. And so there was a pretty good article on klu.tv or tv.com i don't even know what that is but it wasn't Sounds bad. correct yeah <laughs> it, it was uh pretty decent and they basically said that the pandemic plan- planning itself has become a political weapon and that that is certainly true like i usually hate the phrase that we shouldn't politicize some kind of tragedy because tragedies are always like inherently political in some way you, you know when it comes to like gun violence the right always says yeah. that don't politicize this tragedy when it's like partly because of the kind of society that we have. We have the kind of guns and the culture that we have. Like it's, it's inherently a political thing. But uh, in this sense, I think saying that pandemic planning has been politicized is accurate because Trump is basically throwing the responsibility on states, but also denying them the ability to do anything else but reopen because they're gonna, he's going to starve their budgets and they're going to be forced to reopen or like governors like Murphy and Cuomo are going to have very unhappy populations when the state runs out of being able to pay unemployment benefits and the extended benefits from the federal government end in, uh, I think it's July. So it's we're heading towards a, and I already mentioned before how he's denying that testing's useful so much to the extent that uh, it looks like he's ordering them to not test as much or at least change yeah. criterion for testing to minimize the numbers. So it's basically bury the coronavirus stuff, pretend it's not real as we head into the election. Which brings me to my next point uh, and a little further <laughs> off is I don't need to spend much time on this, but The Lancet wrote, a, uh, The Lancet is a prestigious medical journal. They have great, I, I mean, I, I can't give words that describe the importance <laughs> of The Lancet. It's, 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 it's The Lancet. It's like one of the most famous medical journals uh, on the planet. And they had a, at a tour, they're like not really that political. Um, yeah. They had an editorial where they said, called Reviving the U.S. CDC. This was published on May 16th. And they basically said that the, the pandemic's going horribly in the United States and the faith in the CDC by Americans is super low. They say, 
the Trump administration has further chipped away at the CDC's capacity to combat infectious diseases. CDC staff in China were cut back with the uh, last remaining CDC officer recalled home from China CDC in July 2019, leaving an intelligence vacuum when COVID-19 began to emerge. In a press conference on February 25th, Nancy Massonier, a director of the CDC's National Center for Immunization and Respiratory Diseases, warned citizens to prepare for major disruptions to movement in everyday life. Masonier subsequently no longer appeared at White House briefings on COVID-19. More recently, the Trump administration has questioned guidelines that the CDC has provided. These actions have undermined the CDC's leadership and its work during the COVID-19. And they kind of acknowledge that there's no doubt that the CDC has made mistakes, especially on testing in the early stages of the pandemic. The agency was so convinced it had contained the virus that it retained control of all diagnostic testing for severe acute respiratory syndrome, coronavirus 2. But this was followed by the admission on February 12th that the CDC had developed faulty test kits. USA is still nowhere near able to provide the basic surveillance or laboratory testing infrastructure needed to combat the COVID-19 pandemic. And they basically say that like, while all that's true, Punishing the agency and marginalizing it is like not the solution, and that the agency, the current administration, is obsessed with they say magic bullets, vaccines, new medicines, or hope that the virus will simply disappear. But it's really only a steadfast reliance on basic public health principles like testing, tracing, and isolating will we see the emergency brought to an end. And this requires an effective national public health agency. And they basically say that they need to vote out uh, Trump in uh, November is what Americans need to do if they want to have this go on. But I'm not so yeah. or I'm not so certain that Biden will actually do anything much uh, at all for people. And also um, it might be better. Yeah, but at what point is it It's just also Trump is now he is a problem, yes. But voting him out of office isn't going to do anything now. You know what I mean? Like Yeah, and and you know <laughs> and, and, yeah, that's why I was kind of like, wow, I'm surprised they wrote this. Everything they said is right, but but it's kind of strangely placed because like have they seen the state of of the Democratic Party right now? Uh, Biden can't formulate a sentence. He's not going to win. He's not going to win in November. I'm making a prediction right now. Uh, Biden is not going to win. That's it. Yeah, uh, it, it's not possible because he's just such a bad candidate. So and we have just, even his team is so bad. I, I told you he's offline, gone. you know, that there was an in- Instagram ad of like a survey to, you know, let let him know if he if you're going to vote for Biden. And I was like, OK, I'll let you know I'm not voting for you. You know, why not? And then it the, the whole questionnaire was just like pro, obviously pro Biden, but it was not trying to gather any kind of information beyond like which platform do you think Biden should run on against Trump? Like, and it was all anti-Trump and pro Biden, but it was not really getting any actual hard information from me. So it was very strange. And I'm like, if that's how you're going to try to survey people and put together, you know, rig your platform together, it doesn't make any sense. And we're in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. Yeah. We're in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, Americans don't have clear leadership on this issue about what they should do. Yeah, it, it's it's terrible. The Democratic Party is basically, as far as I can tell, doing everything they can to lose 2020 election. And where is he right now? Where is where is Biden right now? You know uh, what I mean? Like, I guess in his basement still. Trump uh, today. Every now and then. Trump was on the there was like a golf thing, but he, he called into NBC where they were broadcasting the, the thing and a tournament. And Trump had a 10 minute segment just like talking about the coronavirus and 
talking about golf and the sport and all every, like he just was rambling about it and blaming China for the spread of it. And he was also talking about, um, I think he mentioned the world health organization because he kept on saying like, we weren't informed. We weren't told we weren't informed. We weren't told and we weren't prepared because we weren't told. And I'm just thinking, well, where's Biden? You know, like he's yeah. Instagram spamming me. Like, <laughs> yeah, where is he? So, so you combined all that it, it, uh, on top of we have an ineffective opposition. We have a, a terrible president who's not able to do anything for the people. He's just looking out for himself. I don't even want to say just his class because it's really like it is like all the rich people. But above all, he's looking out for himself and his election chances. You're going to have this reemergence in the fall of coronavirus, and it's going to be possibly worse than what we had it now. And we also are having a permanent structural change to the U.S. economy, I think. We're having some of the lowest levels of employment we've ever had. I mean, there's there's around 33 million people who have lost their jobs, and uh, we're rising to about 20% unemployment, uh, which is unheard of. Another way of thinking about it is uh, in a good year, we have 165 million Americans in the workforce out of 300-some million so that mean uh, so that means now that we drop down to thirty million uh, thir- uh, from thirty million, only about half of Americans are employed in the workforce. That's one way to th- look at it. And uh, when you think about it, that's 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 crazy. Um, this is unheard of. I, I just yeah. in my own community, I was driving up uh, one thirty to uh, two o six. I wanted to go to a store, and I was just looking along the way of how many of the stores that I used to know have uh, this like signs saying this place is now uh, like the space is now open. Right. And a bunch of them And the store that I wanted to go to uh, was, is now permanently closed. A lot of these businesses and shops are, are never coming back they're, They They can't afford to reopen. They, yeah. They're out of business now. And that's why I'm not very pessimistic or optimistic about the short term. Like I think but Trump's going to win. I'm going to stop all this. Yeah. I'm going <laughs> to, yeah. I'm going to agree. But for New Jersey, I think a, a thing to point out is, you know, all the stores that you were mentioning that were closed down, it's it's the opportunity to raise the issues with Murphy and his that group, what is it called? The um the the restart and recovery advisory council. So yeah. it's important for us to bring up these issues to the council and make sure that they are fully aware of the different kind of shops, the like the mom and pop kind of smaller businesses around New Jersey, how they have been impacted and how we can get them back on their feet. Because New Jersey, we've talked about its history, but there's something about going to the small towns of New Jersey. And it's kind of like a, a blast from the past. You know, you see these family businesses that have been around since almost the founding, like some places have been open forever at the founding of different towns, the founding of different cities. And it's amazing to see them still standing and seeing these families that have been around for generations and profiting off a business that relies on, you know, loyal customers. And I think it's our job as New Jersey citizens. And also when the council comes together to make sure that these New Jersey institutions are still around for the next generations. Yeah, I, I agree. So I do want to push back against my own optimism, uh, doomer, my own doomer <laughs> attitude, because I'm. I said I was uh, pessimistic in the short run, and, and I, I still am. And yeah. I think, I think the short, overall, the short of it is going to be bad. <laughs> but I really am optimistic in the long run because there is a long underlying 
like simmering anger and we've seen it all throughout the coronavirus thing of of just like decades long uh feelings of just rage at wage stagnation economic inequality uh corruption and just like when we expect our government to just do a little for us in a time when no, everyone recognizes that it absolutely they need to and they aren't doing it like i i just feel like this can't last that long of people just being quiet about it like people might it, people might explode and just go over it like it might be like occupy level stuff but has to be a little more <laughs> yeah. uh, you know a, a little more creative in terms of uh uh with a pandemic going on and i i do feel like we're getting somewhere near that maybe just because that's uh, people are mad everyone i talk to is mad it's not just even people who are really informed yeah uh people who are like don't pay attention much and they're just like how come i haven't gotten that 1200 yet like the things that matter to them like how come i don't have a job and i know we need we, we shouldn't work yet but things like that like, like why are we reopening exactly um, I, even people like, a lot of people get it a lot more people get it than the, the loud minority of people protesting saying we should uh, uh reopen because they want haircuts but, <laughs> and the nails done yeah. But well, that's yeah, that's our show. That's it. We're running way, way late today. So let's yeah. uh, so listeners, we have our, our website, jerseymatterspodcast.com. We have our Instagram, Jersey Matter Podcast. We have our Twitter, Jersey underscore matters. And please, please, please rate us on iTunes. Yes. We want to get above New Jersey 101.5. Yes. <laughs> uh, we're hoping Trump calls into us. To rant yeah. at some point, thinking he's calling he in somewhere else. Packs our Skype session. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's probably listening right now. In a probably. So, um, thank you for listening this week. Yeah. Signing off. This is Casey McLean. I'm Mike Prino. Goodbye. <laughs>